Welcome to this edition of Rural Perspectives, brought to you by Egg Country Farm Credit Services. I'm Megan Overby for the Red River Farm Network. And joining us this week in the Rural Perspectives podcast is market education specialist Katie Tangen. And Katie, uh, a couple different items to talk about today. One being uh, CFAB, we have some new information out about their plan for a farmer and rancher assistance from USDA, along with planting intentions that come out next week. And so let's first start with that uh, government assistance piece. Uh, CFAP, I know they have a new name for the program, you know, now it's just the acronym is PAP. Um, but let's talk about what we found out from USDA this week. Yeah, so if we go back maybe a month, a month and a half, uh, Biden administration was inaugurated. They came in and, and froze a lot of the executive actions um, from the Trump administration, which is totally normal for an incoming um, president, just so they have a chance to review things. Well, part of that review, of course, was the CFAP program. Um, and, and so they've completed most of that review. There are a few things that they still haven't totally wrapped up. But the good news is that that $20 an acre that was passed um, legislatively by the end, uh, around the end of the year uh, will be released. They didn't put an exact date on it, but it should be soon. You will not have to fill out a new application that will be based totally on the acres you submitted for CFAP 2. Um, so they'll basically just you know, put another check and it'll show up as a direct deposit or, or however you received your last aid. Um, on that, it only applies to acres that were under like a price trigger or um, a flat rate payment. Most of your major crops are going to fall under that. One that will not, however, is dry beans will not receive uh, the CFAP 3, at least at this point. Um, some of the other things are they will also be doing an additional payment to cattle producers um, from CFAP 1. So you'll be getting some distant, additional assistance. Same thing, there's no reapplication process. They'll just simply go through and um, recut some of those checks. One thing that they haven't totally clarified, though, is on contract pork and poultry growers. Um, those were included under a, an executive action, and I don't know exactly what they're going to do with that. They just said that is still pending further review. So that piece of the puzzle is not solved yet. Um, and one other one is the way they had written some of the rules for CFAP 2 and then the way FSA operates. Some of the joint ventures for that partnership may not have gotten um, the APH portion of it. They may have had to use an ARC County yield, so you would have had a smaller, likely a smaller payment than you expected on half. That you can reapply and they'll bump it up to 100% of the ARC County yield. That you have to go back in for. So if you're in those situations, if it's a partnership, if it's a joint venture, you're going to want to talk to FSA and you might have some more paperwork to fill out. Certainly a lot to take in there, Katie. Uh, what's your recommendation? I, I know if they have questions, uh, best thing to contact, you know, a country and they can point them in the right, right direction or their FSA office. Uh, what's the best route to make sure that you check all the boxes? Because I, I know there's a lot of boxes to check. There are, and it was kind of, it tied up a lot of loose ends from a lot of programs all in one package. So there's a lot going on here. But if you have any questions about any of the CFAP 
um, payments that you had before or even with PLUS. Um, we've had so many programs lately. Yeah, you can call your Ag Country office and they'll get you pointed in the right direction. Or um, you can also obviously go to your county FSA office and they'll hopefully have answers for you there. Yep, certainly. Well, uh, the news hasn't come out yet, but we uh, are eagerly waiting next week for USDA's planting intentions report. And so uh, a lot to talk about there, but where would you like to start? I, I know there's a few things that the grain trade has their eye on. There are. Um, there's actually two reports that will come out next week, and one of them is the planting intentions. Uh, it's going to be unofficial well, not even unofficial, it's the official kickoff to 2021 season. And then the other report that comes out is quarterly grain stocks. Um, quarterly grain stocks, they're always important, but because the balance sheets are as tight as they are right now, the market is pretty sensitive to where we're at. And these quarterly grain stocks is USDA does a survey, um, they do farmers, and then they also talk to grain elevators any commercial entities and say, how much grain do you have in stock right now? Um, and so that's how they true up their balance sheets. Soybeans, it's a pretty easy measurement. We have census data for crush. Um, exports, obviously, those are all registered, and those are your two main parts of demand. So that's pretty straightforward. Corn, it gets to be a little bit stickier because we can measure ethanol use. We can measure exports. But one item that we don't have a direct handle on is feed usage. And feed usage is determined from these quarterly grain stock numbers. This is how the, the trade is going to know if we're on track to hit USDA's estimated ending stocks for the year, because remember, we only have one quarter left. So for soybeans, where we're already sitting at 120 million bushels, the trade is not going to want to see that slide any lower <laughs> than what it is now. Um, and then when it comes to corn, they're at 1.5 billion bushels, which is, is okay, but we also, you know, we wouldn't want it to be a whole lot shorter than what it is. So we'll get that piece of the puzzle. Now, that'll be the carry in, whatever we end the 2020 crop year with, that's the end of August, we carry that into 2021. And so it, it does come into play as part of the supply situation for the 2021 crop year then that's where we're going to look at plantings. Where are we at right now? The trade is pretty close to what we saw from USDA in February. They're looking at about 90 million acres of soybeans, um, and I think 92.3 million acres of corn. That would be okay. Um, it doesn't, at 90 million acres we of soybeans, and if the 120 million bushel carryout is correct, we more or less have to have a trendline yield crop. It doesn't leave a whole lot of room for a yield issue and maintaining demand. I mean, something's going to have to give. So that's where it gets to be a little bit sticky with soybeans. Is really 90 million acres enough? And we won't know that till we, we get a little further into the summer. Corn at 92 million acres is is okay. I don't know if it's going to cause mass panic, but again, you still have a lot of emphasis that we have to have a normal crop. Um, we may, we may not. It's still so early in the year, it's hard to say, but that's what will set up the trade for the 20, um, 
2021 crop season. Yes, Katie. Well, as you and I know, uh, when they surveyed farmers, uh, you know, things change. And obviously, once they get in those planters, things really change, especially if these dry conditions persist, uh, specifically in North Dakota and in northern Minnesota. Uh, you know, how, I guess, take this with a grain of salt and go with it? Or what's your recommendation once these numbers do come out? I mean, it, it sets us up for the next probably four weeks. After that, we should be right in the middle of planting, and then there'll be more discussion. And these numbers always change. You know, I don't remember a year where USC didn't change them, at least a little bit, from March to June. Now, as far as the weather, there is a lot of dryness in the Dakotas, into Nebraska. Um, but when you start to move further south and east, they have been getting more rain. Um, is it an issue? No but they should have sufficient moisture. And then some of the worst areas of drought in the southern plains, the Texas Panhandle, Oklahoma Panhandle, parts of Kansas have actually erased their drought. So for winter wheat, you know, as long as it germinated last fall, it should be okay. I think if one crop is going to be sensitive to the, the dry weather we see, it's probably going to be spring wheat because the areas that are driest are sitting right over spring wheat area. That balance sheet, it has enough right now. I mean, nobody's concerned about spring wheat supply this second, but give us a really dry year, and yeah, it starts to be a, a lot more significant, especially because you know, spring wheat's not exactly a specialty crop, but it's it, it's headed more in that direction more and more. So I think if you're going to make a story for dryness, it really falls more on spring wheat, but if the drought spreads, and we, we don't know that, but then it would start to affect corn and soybeans. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess my final question for you today, Katie, is so, you know, whatever this planting intentions and, and stocks report decides to do, we always know there's a, a little bit of a market reaction, sometimes a, mm-hmm. a large market reaction. Uh, you know, do you think that may provide some opportunities if, if farmers haven't forward contracted or, or maybe locked in some of these favorable prices we're seeing for, you know, the 2021 crop? Uh, are there opportunities? You know, I, I think there really are. The first thing I would say about, you know, reaction to the report is we have our numbers, we have our expectations, you know, the market's obviously going to do its thing until we get up to the report. That said... Regardless of where the numbers come in in relationship to the, uh, you know, to the expectations, we have to go off what the reaction is. So even if the numbers themselves look friendly, but the market sells off right away, we need to pay attention to that because it means it was already priced in. You know, and the flip side is if the numbers look bearish and the prices continue to go higher, then it doesn't matter. Then same thing, it was unexpected regardless of what the preprint says. So that's one thing to keep in mind. The, the reaction is really the important part here. The second part of it is we have to be a little bit flexible in our execution of marketing. And by that, I mean this may be an environment where a minimum price type contract is going to be more advantageous than a flat price, but there's certainly nothing wrong with either one. You might be more comfortable with a minimum price. 
for corn especially, though, because the inputs have come up so much, I'm going to caution that your return is probably not going to be as, as good as the futures price might indicate. So you really have to take a look at those costs and see where you're sitting before we go ahead and sell a whole bunch. Well, Katie, as always, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, any final reminders? You know, I think, one, just remember to have a safe planting season. Everything is going so fast, and we certainly want everyone to be careful. But if you have time now, uh, and hopefully you've already done it, but if you haven't, just sit down, make sure you know where your costs are at going into this season, and, yeah, they're going to carry, um, they're going to change here and there. But that's where we're going to have to, that's the base we have to set our targets off for the next few months. That's the latest edition of Rural Perspectives, made possible by Egg Country Farm Credit Services. You can find out more by visiting eggcountry.com. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Megan Overby for the Red River Farm Network.